Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Fitness Stuff for Normal People podcast. I'm Tony. This is Mariana over here. And it's no secret, the fitness industry sucks, period. Whether it's the corrupt multi-billion dollar supplement and weight loss industry or the endless supply of influencers promoting anything to drive paid views, the bottom line is we're not trying to provide just another fitness podcast, but completely change the fitness industry for the better by providing you with the knowledge and tools to cut out the BS once and for all, where today we are talking about another highly anticipated topic, how marijuana, cannabis, impacts our fitness. More specifically, its effect on training when it comes to strength, muscle growth, fat loss, and aerobic performance, and its effects outside of training in factors such as sleep, pain management, recovery, and more. The reason we're talking about it today is because an estimated 158 million people around the world use marijuana. That's almost 4% of the global population. We're still learning a lot about it. Here in the United States, 18 states have legalized the use for recreational cannabis, while 39 have passed medical marijuana. So now 44% of Americans have access to legal recreational cannabis use in 2022. So it's a big and growing topic. Now, before we get started, friendly reminder, easiest way to support us is by dropping a little five-star review. It takes 10 seconds wherever you are or a little thumbs up on YouTube and Apple and Spotify. We freaking love you for it. So thank you. You could do it while Mariana's telling you about some cool new stuff going on. Yeah. And if you really like the research aspect that we bring into each episode, we took the time to build out a premium membership in the Fitness Stuff Research Review, where we dive even deeper into the latest research addressing individual nuances, showing you how to apply each aspect into your own specific lifestyle. Looking through the latest research surrounding nutrition and training for fat loss, gut health and digestion, sleep and recovery, supplementation, and so much more. By supporting us here, you're not only getting access to the weekly research review, monthly Ask Me Anything episodes, and bonus content, but you're also helping us rewrite the fitness industry narrative. You can go ahead and sign up for our premium research review in the show notes below or at fitnessstuff.supercast.com. And a quick note from our sponsor of today's video, Eat This Much. They have a free and a premium version that Tony and I have both talked about a lot. They are a meal plan. They are a meal planning app that allows you to go in and set your own calorie and macro goals. And then you also have access to thousands of meal prep friendly recipes that you can cycle through. You can try them out and you can add them to your weekly meal plan as part of the premium version. So you get to plan a week of meals at a time, generate automatic grocery lists through Amazon Fresh and Instacart and generate automatic leftovers, customize every single day of the week. You can also print and email your plans, which is really convenient. And it just takes a lot of the guesswork and think work out of planning out what the heck you are going to eat each week, which we love. And you can get 20% off Eat This Much premium at eatthismuch.com forward slash fitness stuff. Go ahead, yeah. try it out. First two weeks of premium are free to get to know if you like it. And they're awesome. Yes. I use it with every single one of my clients. Either make them use it or I use, it, <laughs> use <Yeah>. it for them. <laughs> Eat this much is incredible. And another quick one, our sponsor, Legion Athletics, taking the time to talk about this, right? We cover how broken this supplement industry is in almost every episode. That's a theme that usually comes up. We could probably make a whole episode about it. And that's why we not only recommend and mention just a select few companies like Thorn, but Legion, like Thorn and others, but Legion being a big one, we just want to give a special shout out to them because their ethics and our ethics are completely aligned. They work with an entire scientific review board. Every article, podcast, supplement, and video they produce is vetted by a team of MDs, PhDs, and other professionals. They also take some of their income to fund scientific research into nutrition, exercise, and supplementation to advance our collective understanding of how to live fitter and healthier lives along with having some pretty bomb tasting supplements. So we say this every episode, even if you're not using their supplements, I know Mariana and I are huge on their whey protein, plant protein, creatine, and so many others, but use their freaking blog. It's one of the best educational resources. It's free. It's on their website. It's absolutely incredible. If you do want to jump over and grab some supplements, quick re-up, you can use Legion code FSPOD or FSPOD at checkout for 20% off your first order or double points every order after that will also leave a landing page down in the show notes below. Let's talk about that 
MJ, the ganja. <laughs> I was just telling Tony, I know like it's like one of these topics that you feel like you know about, but I absolutely have never dived too deep into it. So I'm really excited. Absolutely. <laughs> Same thing here in putting together a review because people ask about it all the time. If we talk about alcohol's impact on performance, on training, on recovery, on progress, which it has a massive impact on. And people are like, well, okay, what about marijuana? What about weed? What about mm -hmm. cannabis? Well, there's not a ton that we collectively agree on or is even talked about. So in writing this review out, reviewing all this different research, we actually put a pretty cool, I think, all in all episode together for y'all. So I'm excited to get into it. Just before we get started too, we're not advocating for or against the use of cannabis or marijuana. We're just reporting the data when it comes to these specific topics in training and health. It is your decision whether or not you want to use it. Want to put yes. that disclaimer there. Don't use say that your own risk with Tony any Mar sort of Tony substance. <laughs> Tony and Mariana told me to get high. No, we didn't. <laughs> no, yeah. we didn't. Now, it's interesting because there's a lot of similar themes that we notice here as we do with others. I think it's important to start every episode off by just defining what it is we are talking about because same thing, context matters, right? If we're talking about weight loss and we wanted to talk about, let's say an episode of how to lose weight, context really matters. Do we want to lose just weight or do we want to lose body fat? How much weight do we want to lose? What is our current lifestyle, our sleep? There's a lot of context that goes into it. And same thing with marijuana, marijuana or cannabis. It doesn't just mean one thing. It has three major different strains, sativa, indica, and ruderalis. Ruderalis, I'm not even going to lie to you. I did not know existed before this last week <laughs> in putting together Ruderalis, which we'll talk about more of what that is later. It has over 70 to 100 different psychoactive compounds, and it has multiple different delivery methods, edible, inhalation, topical, sublingual, under the tongue, right? All of these with different actions and interactions with the brain and body. So when we say, does marijuana impact muscle growth? Does marijuana impact XYZ? It depends on a lot. And it's a very infant stage of research surrounding these different kinds of marijuana, which is exciting because it does have a pretty profound impact on our bodies. We're just starting to learn more and more about it. I do think it's important to note, and I think people who have used this before can agree on this, how it impacts each person on an individual basis can be completely different. For some, I think we've talked about this specifically, for some people, they report just feeling relaxed, happy more aware of their surroundings, everything around, where others feel like there is a devil creeping behind them, <laughs> anxious, fearful, essentially the exact opposite of what I just described. I know I am the latter when it comes to marijuana. For some people, it's enjoyable. For others, it's not. They could do the mm -hmm. same dosage, the same exact kind, and have two completely different experiences. That's based on a few things, and I covered it a little bit. It's based on a lot of things, based on your personal genetics, gender, past usage with the drug, and more on the psychological sides, along with your set and setting during the usage, your mindset going into it, and the setting or physical and social environment you're in when taking the drug. So it's a little hard to pinpoint that. Let's talk about the three strains. You hadn't heard of Rudy Alice before this either, right? I've No, never. We live in states where recreational is legalized. We were talking about that before, right? Boston or Massachusetts. Boston. Yeah, let's just, everyone know. Now everyone knows where I live. Thanks, Tony. <laughs> the three major strains of cannabis, right? Sativa and indica are what we typically hear of. And there's typically hybrid forms of that plant, different strains that combine one or the other. Sativa is more of the head biased effect, right? Stimulating, usually making one feel more alert, creative, and is typically more prescribed for pain management, more the head high, creative, artistic flow where indica is more heavily related to its full body effects, less stimulating effect on the head, more prescribed for like sleep, anxiety, relaxation. It is the couch lock form there. And most strains I think today are more of a hybrid where it's like, oh, this one's 80% sativa, 20% indica, 80, 75%, yeah. whatever. It's a hybrid blend is where I think most are today. And there's probably an infinite amount out there. Now the third strain, which again, I had not even realized existed until this week, ruderalis, which is used effectively as a hybrid with the other ones, but has a much lower level of THC and higher level of CBD, which are going to be the two compounds that we are going to discuss for the most part. I didn't know that that had a name. That was what that was called. Yeah. I've been to the dispensary before. Some have CBD in them. I didn't know that that had that name. 
Interesting. And I'll be honest, because I don't know if there's a distinct, like if it has higher CBD, it automatically is ruderalis. I know ruderalis is more classified as a type of plant or a strain of plant that grows in more harsh environments and it produces more CBD because I think indica and sativa can both have CBD, typically just much lower dosage. Oh, right. oh my so, goodness. Super interesting. Now, the two main compounds that we are talking about, right, THC and CBD, what are they? These are both compounds that interact with your body's endocannabinoid system, but they have very different effects. Now, just for starters, and I'm not going to dive too deep into the impact and the interactions inside the brain just because that's not my circle of competence, right? But the endocannabinoid system is essentially a system made of endogenous, meaning coming from inside, like our brain had this regardless of if we've ever interacted with the plant before or not, endogenous cannabinoid receptors in our brain, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of like, I know we've talked about nicotine before. We have, we have nicotinic receptors in our brain, which is kind of cool, right? Like where did these come from? Why are these in our brain? But I do want to have an important note where it can be a bit misleading. I think people use this fact as misleading, saying, oh, we have uh, cannabinoid receptors in our brain. We were wired to make and to use marijuana. We were made to use this. And I think that's a bit misleading because they have function and purpose with or without ingesting marijuana, right? With or without, it's, it has a practical use in our brain. It's, its only function is not to serve marijuana. And I think that is a very important note because it's yeah. an argument a lot of people use that are very, very pro cannabis, right? It's made yeah. for us. We are made for it. I mean, my first thought is like, yeah, we have, we make insulin in endogenously. We have insulin mm -hmm. receptors. So that means everyone should just be taking insulin. Like yeah. you know I mean? obviously <laughs> very it's completely similar, yeah. different subs. Like there's, it's such a stark contrast, but that is the same a hundred percent. Yeah. It, it's endogenous a hundred percent. Yeah. But it's, it, I think that is because it's an easy gap it's an to easy jump. Out. It's not yeah. really something that many people would question. It's kind of like, yep. Yeah. yeah. Make, sure. make sense. <laughs> if you don't think about it is it's kind of one of those makes sense. If you don't think about it too much. Mm -hmm. Now, the differences between THC and CBD, CBD, I think you might've heard of more new age more recently. THC is the main psychoactive compound in cannabis that produces the high sensation. THC um, is typically what makes you feel high, right? Makes, <laughs> that's, there's no really better way to put it. Makes you feel high. And the crazy part when I was looking into it, not going in too deep, is average THC levels have risen in the plant more than 100% in the last two decades as recreational use and legalization has become more prevalent. I think it was mm. averaging 10 to 12% THC in most strains decades ago, where today there are strains upwards of 30 plus percent THC, meaning you usually get more of that high effect. Now, yeah. CBD, on the contrast, is derived directly from the hemp plant and does not cause a high when it's isolated by itself. So it has some of the same effects when it comes to pain management, stuff like that that we're going to talk about later, but it doesn't give you that high effect. And that's typically where you can use it throughout your day at work, driving, things like that. But we'll talk about CBD here in a minute. I did want to throw this fun little fact in here. In June of 2018, the FDA actually approved Epidolex. I might be mispronouncing that, but it was actually the first prescription medicine to contain CBD. The FDA actually approved this in 2018, mm -hmm. being the first FDA approved medication using CBD, which I thought was very interesting. Both THC and CBD are used to help with conditions like seizures, inflammation, pain management, Certain mental disorders, even IBS or inflammatory bowel disease, nausea, migraines, anxiety, depression. IBS or IBD or both? Oh, oops. It is both. But that doesn't mean that there is a mass amount of research supporting these, right? Mm -hmm. Most of this is coming off of self-report. It helps yes. with me with this. It helps me with this, which is wildly individual. Now, the last note before we get into today is about CBD products, because most of the research we're going to talk about today is using THC most of the research done on it. CBD products have been confirmed to have wildly inaccurate levels that are being reported on the labels, right? Meaning there is no way, shape or form matching what is actually in the supplement, kind of like melatonin, right? A melatonin could say we're getting one or three or 10 MCG, but when you actually test the supplement, they can range massively away from that. 
right? Where these numbers actually kind of blew my mind a little bit. In-store CBD ranging anywhere from negative 75%, so under 75% of what is marketed, all the way up to 93% more than what is labeled, where online is ranging from 96% underdosed to over 121% overdosed, right? So you could be buying something dosed as one thing, but just know there's good and bad companies, but most of the industry is very far off and it's very hard to control for that, right? Yeah, but I just think the CBD industry, especially in states where marijuana is legal and you have dispensaries, CBD in products from a dispensary, that is completely different from just a regular CBD supplement you could get at your local pharmacy. There are different regulations there because when you think about the regulations of a dispensary, what you are allowed to sell there, there are really strict guidelines in terms of reviewing the ingredients in here. How is this grown? How much is in it? Very strict guidelines. You don't have that in the supplement industry. Yeah. CBD supplements, that's very different. There are so many different CBD companies. And even if they say they are third-party tested, that's not an end-all be-all to the issue of zero transparency, especially when it comes to CBD supplements. Big like, time. And the good news is, at least with CBD, is you're not typically getting any of the massive effects from THC, Yeah. where yeah. if you were accidentally taking 121% of the dose THC, you would have a wildly different experience. Yeah. Most of CBD, and we're going to talk about this later, but most of what is claimed by CBD is, again, self-reported, and there's not a lot of human research done on it. It's a big caveat there. So at least there's no, it's like, oh crap, I took twice the amount of dose I'm going to be tripping off my face for the next few hours. It's a little bit different. We're going to reel it back in. We're only looking at the research surrounding cannabis in the terms of performance, strength, muscle growth, recovery, sleep, anxiety. And I'm sure there's gonna be a lot more in the future, but today I wanted to tailor this inside of our realm and not cross anything else. And like I mentioned before, most of the research done is on THC specifically, not necessarily CBD. And we'll talk about why that is a little bit later, but we got a lot to talk about. I think we're going to start with the use of marijuana in aerobic performance before we head into strength, muscle growth, sleep and more. Does that sound solid? I'm excited. In case anyone was curious, I went to University of Vermont. And if you've heard any rumors about the University of Vermont, <laughs> similar to Sea Boulder, there is a lot of recreational marijuana use there. What? And I am just thinking about how I couldn't even walk up a hill when I used to smoke weed without getting out, out of breath. Despite going to the gym, like, didn't yeah. matter. So I'm really, really curious to, to yeah. hear well, about this part. And the interesting part, and I'm excited to go through aerobic performance, strength, muscle growth, things like that, because people in the Olympics and professional sports get bans and fines for using it as a performance enhancing drug. That's what I think of the interesting part is it's classified in professional sports as a performance yeah. enhancing drug, mm -hmm. which doesn't really make sense at once. But that's why we are looking into it. So let's talk about and start here with aerobic performance. Now, this was a big one that I got. I did a Q&A on my Instagram account telling people we were outlining it, what they wanted to learn about. Performance was a big one because it's very common. I guess I didn't know how common, but very common for people to smoke before they go into the gym. And there's even people that were commenting, it's a very common thing to mix cannabis and pre-workout together. That's their like go-to, like I got to hit this. I didn't know how common it was. So let's look at how it yeah. impacts performance. Yeah, that's a th I think there's a nickname for it. But I hadn't seen that in, until TikTok. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, so good we're doing this. TikTok will show you the way. I know it explores yeah. new things. Now, I found quite a few pieces of research here. And this is definitely where most, we found the most research in putting things together, more than strength, more than muscle growth. There's a lot of research done on marijuana and aerobic performance. The first one I pulled was a review of 15 individual studies done at St. Vincent's Hospital Medical School, finding that marijuana had no positive effects on aerobic performance, but more specifically, it did show up in the 15 individual studies, certain negative side effects. First one being that it hastens fatigue, right? It speeds up the feeling of fatigue during training. Another one being that it increases your perceived exertion, meaning it makes you feel like you are working harder than you actually are, right? We talk about ratings of perceived exertion in the RPE scale, things like that. So essentially, if you're familiar with RPE, it would increase your RPE score working at the same weight, the same sets, the same reps, 
the same recovery. It makes you feel like you're working harder. Another big one noticed in these studies was a decrease in work capacity or the amount of exercise they were actually able to complete while under the influence. And even some side notes, and this is more just self-report through the studies, is it can make people feel dizzy during the higher intensity styles of training, which that one makes sense to me. That's what I would imagine if I smoked before I training is I feel like I'd get dizzy and out of breath. And it does show long-term, more research is showing that cannabis is linked to changes, not necessarily positive or negative, but po changes in how oxygen travels through the brain. So that would make a little bit of sense there. But again, in this big review, no positive effects, but specific negative effects popping up, not across the board, but more often than not. Now, another review conducted by scientists at the University of Toronto looked at four different studies. Two of them showed no impact on performance, positive or negative. Two others showed a negative impact on performance. Now, where this kind of makes sense and what we're going to tie this into is there's a lot of direct and indirect effects of this. This makes sense because most research shows that long-term marijuana use from smoking specifically, not from edibles or is it tinnitus? I forget how to pronounce that word, but from smoking marijuana can severely hurt your respiratory health long-term. That's a known fact. Smoking long-term can damage respiratory health. So when it comes to aerobic training, this kind of adds up. Now, one of the last pieces was from an umbrella review. And I'm really liking umbrella reviews. Do you? From a nutrition science perspective, I'm skeptical of them. You should be because sometimes they can be good, but they could also leave out a lot of nuances. Especially in bigger, more complex things like nutrition, it might not be. Yeah. There's specific uses for them. Umbrella reviews are essentially just reviews of published reviews, like meta-analyses, things like that. This review is quoted to say here, cannabis consumption has an ergolytic effect on exercise performance and therefore does not act as a sports performance enhancing agent as raised by popular beliefs. Thus, cannabis consumption prior to exercise should be avoided in order to maximize performance in sports. That is quoted from this review. Yeah. Note along the lines. So this is bringing back. I remember learning about this in my human performance and ergogenic aids class in college. I, it makes me have a question for you, especially since you brought up the point about sports, like it being banned in sports. Yeah. Just from this alone, do you think that would be a valid place to say, you know what, because there's no benefit to take THC, should we allow people to test positively with THC in their urine in like the, in sports, in college sports? Great question. Based on this, because what we're going to see later in the indirect effects on things like pain management and things like that, which can indirectly improve performance. In my mind, I think it should be totally off the charts for performance. It should not be on the performance enhancing drug list. It shouldn't. Yeah. It doesn't enhance performance. It might improve recovery in some aspects, but it's not like you're taking Adderall or any banned supplements right before you're performing that is known to improve hand-eye coordination, improve speed, reaction time, things like that. It's not doing any of this mm -hmm. directly. So that's why I think it's a little silly that people are getting bans and fines. And who was the Olympic athlete that just got disqualified in the last summer Olympics? It was a girl who was I, I know killer. Do you know what I'm talking about? Killer yeah. sprint athlete, I think. But she got disqualified for use of marijuana. Yes. Love Makes you to sense. come in and be the controversial person here. Ooh, please do. We, Let's do it. <laughs> from me personally, looking at performance enhancement drugs, that is banned, especially in the NCAA professional sports. If you go ahead and say, you know what, because this isn't enhancing performance, so to say, I'm saying in quotation marks, then we should allow it. What that does is it causes many people to start to reevaluate other so-called mm. performance enhancement drugs. There's the worry, especially from the people who make these rules that what does that mean for the next thing? Are we going to have to revisit other yeah, rules? Like, like a slippery slope a little bit. Yes. I understand it both ways completely. But when you bring that into it, especially with something that this is just so tightly regulated and very hard to change. And this isn't me even talking about logistics of maybe you loosen if someone has medical reasons to be taking this, like 
maybe that's different, but I'm just saying strictly like, should this be allowed or not type of thing? But I can see it both ways for sure. It is interesting. I think, cause yeah, obviously they would need to reevaluate. I think organizations like that almost should have a reason to constantly reevaluate the rules they put in place and why oh, they, they put do. in place. I think it's the American yeah. College of Sports Medicine. Are they in charge of that for the NCAA? I don't know, to be honest. But I know that it is something you reevaluate. I'm sure there's a lot of like secondary and third order outcomes that come from just allowing like, oh, marijuana use is there. It's not only like, oh, it's not improving performance, but what other trickle down effects does that have that I know we're not looking at right now? Mm -hmm. It's not simple enough to be like, oh yeah, they should just let that. It's a lot deeper. I kind of want to look into that now after the episode (laughs) because I know it goes a lot deeper. But from there, at least from an aerobic standpoint, you're not going to get any performance enhancing benefits. Now let's talk about strength. We're going to talk about strength and then muscle growth and then a lot of secondary effects coming from pain management before we look at fat loss. But when it comes to muscle growth and strength, right? Let's talk about strength first. A common claim is that marijuana increases strength because it increases bronchodilation or the relaxing of muscles and lungs by widening the airways, right? The use of cannabis is shown to do that. Now, research does show that other prescribed drugs that cause bronchodilation. What's a little, you're giggling over here. I'm laughing because I'm like, so like an inhaler? <laughs> but other drugs that cause bronchodilation can improve strength and performance. This has been well documented. Other drugs can be, even though there's been no direct research looking at marijuana and bronchodilation in training. Now, there's only been two studies that have been done looking at cannabis in use with strength. One study showing no noticeable effect and the other reporting, (laughs) I like this one, that weakness was clearly demonstrated in the group using cannabis. And (laughs) this kind of makes sense from a strength standpoint, but I could see it being different for each person because what I've learned through strength training, I've been training with my newer coach, Joe Stanek, who is a strength and powerlifting specific coach for the last, I think, four to six months at improving things like compounds lifts on my sumo deadlifts and my bench press. Completely different style of training than I was used to before. But one thing I've really learned is that coordination and focus are massively important for those bigger compound movements. Massively important, right? Especially like someone was asking me about bench press help the other day. And it's like, we don't really realize for bench press, it's like, you have to get your legs engaged, right? Your glutes, your lats, your core. It's not just a chest exercise. You have to get your body running all as one. And marijuana has been shown to slow down hand-eye coordination, slow down reaction time, right? This is well noted for most of the population. So it took me two months just to nail down leg drive during the bench press. It requires focus every single repetition. I could see how marijuana would take away from that coordination. So on like more isolated movements, like a bicep curl, where you don't need as much focus and as much coordination, I don't see it having a large effect, but on bigger movements, I could see it being challenging for a lot of people after using marijuana. But again, this is probably different on the individual basis on certain people probably almost have a more focused, narrow effect after smoking. I could see others being the complete opposite. And I I would probably be in that group of the complete opposite (laughs) is where I see myself. Does that make sense? Yeah. This makes me want to go into like the alpha elite gym and just record people and see like <laughs> compare people that would be a good group it would be a solid group to do a little test test <laughs> run on so when it comes to direct strength there's been only two studies done and neither of them have shown an improvement on strength but again these are two smaller scale studies that's not saying certain individuals can't benefit in this aspect but that's at least my two cents on the strength and the coordination and the focus required of there might being a bridge to gap for most people having a hard time with that. So that's when it comes to strength. Now, here's where it's kind of interesting because I know a lot of people wonder about this. What about marijuana and muscle growth? What about marijuana and muscle growth? And I think- Who wonders about that, Tony? Who who? wonders about that? I will show you my Instagram Q&A. I probably got over a hundred questions, which usually when I ask for questions about specific episodes, they're very specific. So only individuals wondering about that topic reply and take the time to ask a question. Usually I'll get a couple dozen. This one blew up and it was, it shocked me, but a lot of people wanted to know this was the biggest one probably question I got was, I'm I'm not judging anyone for these questions, by the way, it just goes to show how individualized your experience can be. My first thought and why these questions that people have are so foreign to me is that if I go into a gym 
to try and lift a weight high, I'm getting injured. Like it is getting dropping on some part of my body and it's not going to be good. It's just never crossed my mind. So I just think this is great. I'm almost like jealous of these people, but there's individuals who it helps them focus. It does help them perform better. Mm -hmm. Again, you and I, the complete opposite. (laughs) But for some individuals, yeah, it really helps in these certain aspects. How can I incorporate this? Now, when it comes to muscle growth, there's no direct studies done looking at cannabis in regards to muscle growth. That's important to note. Zero. Zilch. None. But let's look at a couple secondary effects that might impact muscle growth. We're going to look at sleep a little bit later. But here, there has been a little relationship noted between cannabis and our endocrine system or hormones, right? There has been a relationship between cannabis use and our hormones. Now, research done in animal models, understand that animal models has demonstrated that marijuana use acutely alters multiple hormones, including the suppression of testosterone, growth hormone, prolactin, and thyroid hormone. But human research is wildly inconsistent. Some studies showing that it can suppress these, others showing absolutely no effect at all. It's wildly inconsistent, nothing to draw conclusions from, even though in animal studies, it's fairly more consistent. Now- Yeah, can I interject real quick? Yes. Add a note as to why that completely makes sense for people who don't really have a background in research, as mm-hmm. many people don't. But when you're looking at animal models, one of the benefits, but also one of the reasons why you cannot extrapolate that out to human mm-hmm. research is you can control their environment. So when you think about marijuana, THC, how it affects your hormones in all of the, the parts of your environment that may hinder those effects, may influence those effects, may add to that, you can Mm -hmm. completely eliminate all of those. So human beings have so many aspects in their environment, in their day-to-day life that you cannot control for that impact your hormone levels. And Massive impact. It makes so much sense that this would be so inconsistent because that is something that is very hard to control for. And then adding on to the individualized response to THC. That's just one of the biggest takeaways from why you don't often see these replications in general from animal studies to human Mm -hmm. studies is that environment piece. So I I just wanted to add that note. Yeah. And we dig deeper into this in a lot of our different research reviews in how to interpret these different findings, because it is meaningful that they found this in animals, but it's also a massively important note is think about that in rat studies or animal studies, you can control pretty much every aspect of their environment, their sleep, their relationships, their food intake, their activity, their sunlight, everything. Mm -hmm. Where in humans, and this is most of marijuana research done, is done with self-reporting. Did you, like, when did you smoke? How much did you smoke? It's done on self-reporting, which is inaccurate. So that's why it's hard to vary. I did pull one interesting study that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine And it took 20 men aged 18 to 28 years old who used cannabis at least four days per week for a minimum of six months without use of other drugs during the intervention, right? So without any illicit other drug use. And they compared them to a control group matched for aged without any drug use. The average plasma testosterone for regular regular marijuana users was 416 nanograms per 100 milliliters tested compared to the average of 742 nanograms per 100 milliliters in the control group. So all the way from 416 in the regular marijuana users, upwards of 742 in the control group who did not use. Now, a lot of people talk about different measures in testosterone. And especially I I see this a lot in the supplement industry on testosterone boosters. If you boost your testosterone by 10%, That sounds like a lot, but if you ask most professionals that are deep in that field, 10%, especially if it's a small term or a a short term spike, you're not going to notice any, there's no noticeable effects that come from that. You're not going to see more muscle growth. You're not going to see an increased recovery. It's not that big of a difference. This is almost a 75% increase or sorry, a 75% decrease in those measurements between the groups. So I thought that was pretty big. And again, this is a small study. It was 20 people. so small. And it was Red lack flags, of control. Tony. This is what I'm saying. No, this is cool. It is very small, lack of lack of control, but still very interesting with how major of a difference there was. Mm-hmm. 
And I think there's a lot of notes to be taken because one, there's also differences noted in tolerance of the drug, meaning it has a different effect the more you tolerate it over time. And other studies too have shown a suppression in growth hormone as well, but there's also studies that show the complete opposite where there's absolutely no effect on testosterone and growth hormone over the period of the study. I'm sure this is somewhere research is going to head more into the future, but especially we talked about this in our male versus female training differences episode. That was one of my favorite episodes, but we talked about how complex and individualized the endocrine system really is. There's really nothing you can conclude about marijuana use when it comes to your hormones. I think this is just like can further show, like I was just giving Tony some crap for it being a small study, but what a lot of what we try to do here is show you how to properly interpret this. So often news outlets, people on social media will take that, that finding right there and run with it to get views, to create conversation Mm -hmm. when really Rarely one study tells you something. Rarely one study, no matter how well done, controlled it was, rarely does one study really tell you anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it also, this just further shows how variable this this can be, but also to be wary of anyone that's saying something conclusive about marijuana's effects on your hormones. So like you can take a lot of good from not so great studies. So it's not always like a, this is terrible. You can't take anything at all. So kind of like to show that variation there. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. Cause super interesting study, but you can draw zero conclusions from it. And that's why we try and bring in things like systematic reviews, meta-analyses, these things that review a large area of data surrounding one topic, because that's when you can start putting pieces together of, oh, this has been repeated and we've noticed the same effect. And this is my, maybe what could come from that versus again, interesting study. Can't argue that interesting study, but it's 20 people. It means nothing. And that's why we can't draw any conclusions from it. Now, here's the interesting piece. And here's the argument for is when it comes to marijuana and pain management in performance. Now, a large made analysis, we love those, done at the University of Bristol, included 79 individual studies and over 6,000 total participants, found evidence that marijuana can treat pain and spasticity, muscle spasms, pain and muscle spasms. And another large one, systematic review and meta-analyses done at the University of Heidelberg in Germany, showed that smoking marijuana does increase pain tolerance in athletes during training. And this is where there's a little conflicting, right? We saw earlier, it's been known to increase your rating of perceived exertion, but it also seems to help you tolerate pain caused from training as well. And I think this is where maybe not a direct effect, but indirectly smoking might help you train harder and boost athletic performance in the sense that it helps athletes deal with aches and pains that would normally get in the way. Now, I don't think this is a good or bad thing because I think this is why you see a lot of NFL players get busted for it Mm -hmm. is because If you look at NFL reports, like the day after Sunday, right, on Mondays, most players don't, you don't practice on Mondays because you feel like you got hit by a bus. Like your body, and this is why I think there's a huge opioid epidemic in the NFL and why there's so many addictions there, is because you have to turn around and train when your body feels like it just just got crushed a hundred times the day before. So sometimes I think this is why a lot of, and this is why it hurts in the NFL, why players use it is because it's not as dangerous as opioids, right? There's not a massive danger that comes with opioids, but it allows you to continue to perform while getting over the pain. So I think that's a big reason why I think certain individuals enjoy this. Pain's telling you something for the most part when you're training. And we've talked about overtraining a lot on this podcast, Mm. right? If your body's hurting, maybe that means you shouldn't be training as hard as you possibly can. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's pros and cons on that side. I have a question. Does the pain just go away while you're high or does it have this like longer, like it trickles in, not like a long-term effect, but perceived pain even when you're not high? Like that can... Now, I'm sure that I mean? has, I'm sure that has to do more with the individual. I know in these specific studies, like especially the second one, look, looked only at like during training, if you smoked right before training. Ah. Right. So I'm sure it's different for everybody as far as how long the effects last, but I would assume it would be more acute in the sense of it's not just like you smoke a joint in the morning and then for the next two weeks you're pain free. Yeah. I wasn't sure if they were looking at it on like the off days, the recovery days, like not in the ones here, but it would be interesting to dive deeper into some of the individual studies because I'm sure that varies on an individual basis. Now, 
The second most talked about piece or the question that I got in the, the Q&A that I asked is marijuana and fat loss. Does it impact fat loss before we jump into sleep? Because it's another big claim. Now, not many studies have overlooked cannabis and weight gain or loss in healthy subjects. Right? There hasn't been a ton in humans. For the ones that did, shocker again, the results were conflicting. And this is a bigger review done. Research done at University of California looked at over 3,600 participants using 15 years of longitudinal data, which I like because they're checking in at multiple points, showing that over time, marijuana smokers did see an increase in average calories consumed. I mean, the longer one used marijuana, the more calorie intake rose over time. But over time, there was no changes in BMI or waist circumference, which is a little confusing because it was a pretty significant jump in calories over time, over the 15 years. But BMI and waist circumference and several other health markers stayed more or less the same. So it's a little conflicting in what we're finding. There's nothing we can draw there. But mm -hmm. another big note here, like we just said, research on humans here is so hard to control for. And one thing is that the researchers in this specific study noted is that we, it was the marijuana users had also been noted to also use tobacco more, consume more alcohol, and had other illicit drug use more compared to non-users. So again, it's hard to pinpoint in humans, especially over years and maybe decades, when there's so many other factors at play here. Like alcohol, we know has a very large and notable impact on how we gain and lose weight. Mm -hmm. But if we're just looking at marijuana, ignoring whether or not individuals are using alcohol, that, that has something to do with it, especially if one of the groups is just so happened to consume more alcohol than the other. So I think that's an important note that the researchers actually pointed out. Mm -hmm. <sighs> My first thought, and I'm sure people are thinking about this, is on the aspect of if you've ever heard of people having the munchies. Do you get the munchies when you smoke? I'm sure we can all probably relate of even hearing that, even if you've never experienced it. Do you something... get the munchies? Yeah. Yeah. There is like this need for food if I yeah. ever have weed in my system. It's been a while since like for a variety of reasons that I don't smoke weed or anymore, but a lot of it is that like feeling like I'm not controlling my food intake. Mm -hmm. That's like a question people had. Is there any research on like how that, why that is? And the research is pretty consistent in showing that marijuana consumption increases the production of the hormone ghrelin. And this is ghrelin is produced by the stomach and it's your hunger hormone. So that's what makes you feel hungry. And I personally find this particularly fascinating because for some reason that this idea of the munchies and just getting hungry when you smoke weed, like the why behind it is not something discussed often or like, I feel like people aren't as curious about it. It's just kind of this. Yeah. It's just there. It's just accepted. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's main function is to signal hunger or that you need to eat and it, increases during periods of fasting or under conditions associated with negative energy balance, such as starvation or anorexia, and increasing the production of that can significantly hinder your progress if you are someone that's a spectrum. Some people experience the munchies more than others, but if it's, this is something you're regularly doing, especially with training, it's like that can impact your progress and your goals if you have, even if it's just like once or twice a week where you're just going all out eating. Yeah so much food so that, that's one that of the major indirect effects about. yeah yeah because we talk about ghrelin and leptin a lot when it comes to weight loss because they're very important hormones leptin, leptin being the opposite of ghrelin right leptin signals fullness ghrelin signaling hunger and it's one of those things that you notice without drug use but as you diet longer and longer blood leptin levels drop meaning the fullness hormone drops blood ghrelin levels tend to rise the longer and longer you diet. And that's one of the main reasons why dieting long-term and more aggressive diets fail is because no one can beat hunger, mm -hmm. right? Long-term, no matter how motivated you are, you can't beat hunger. So yeah. it's interesting because people just accept like, oh, weed gives you the munchies. Is that just like a psychological thing? It's like, no, it's, it's pretty well noted in every study looking directly at ghrelin. And especially over the time period of, I think four hours, is where most of the research it says hour before, during, and every hour following, it significantly jumps up ghrelin, yeah. which is crazy because even if you just had eaten and ghrelin typically would drop, 
right? It signaled from the stomach, right? And it increases when you're fasted, right? When the stomach is empty. So when you have food in it, you typically aren't releasing more ghrelin saying, hey, we need food. But even if you have food in your stomach, your ghrelin increases again saying, hey, we're hungry. I know I've noticed this before when I was younger and I smoked more often, I would even notice that I would eat a meal. And if I went to go smoke with friends or whatever it was, I would still be hungry again. I'd be like, I just ate dinner and be like, oh, let's go to Sonic. Let's go to the yeah. Sonic drive-thru and get some freaking curly fries. This it's crazy. This is something that you can really think about in the context of eating disorders. So I'm going to talk about two spectrums here. So the first being with binge eating or bulimia, if you struggle with binge eating, the act of smoking marijuana typically is advised against if you want to work on those binge eating behaviors because it can promote binge eating. So especially if you struggle with this, your ghrelin and leptin levels, hunger and fullness hormones are already not in control, especially those who have been diagnosed with binge eating disorder. So you are increased, significantly increasing your likelihood of having a binge, not just getting the munchies overeating like it will lead into a binge when you smoke weed. So that's one of the risks there. And then you can also look at this, the other side of the spectrum of this can actually be beneficial for those who struggle with anorexia nervosa because marijuana has actually been used and observed in several randomized controlled trials in anorexia nervosa patients to actually gain weight. And this is also mm -hmm. seen in cancer patients as well. And again, this is very individual, but this is something that your beliefs aside about the usage of it as whatever, this is something that can help yeah. people in these specific groups gain weight, eat food. It's been life-saving for some people who can't eat any food, especially with the effects of chemotherapy when it comes to ca cancer patients. Uh, it, it's been really helpful. I've personally had have loved ones in my life who have used it. And when you're not getting proper nutrition, when you're undergoing chemotherapy, that's why a mm -hmm. lot of people have poor outcomes from it, but it's so hard to eat. I think that's so fascinating because it's like, it's not going to directly cause you to gain or lose weight, but indirectly it's going to change things. It's known it's going to make you a little hungrier, which if the goal is fat loss and you're a healthy individual might not be the best idea, but it also is probably highly individualized on how much you feel it. But it's interesting because it's actually been used and studied and even HIV, cancer, and like you said, anorexia patients for the specific purpose to gain weight. So it's not like it mm -hmm. makes you gain weight, but it gives you more of an appetite, Yeah, which and can be used very tactically. There, there's also with anorexia, I want to clear this up. This is with people in recovery. So mm -hmm. this is like you are actively working on that mindset that you have accepted already that you are going to gain weight. It is not like a, oh, if you just use this, you're going to gain weight. It's like, no, you're already on this journey to recovery. This helps mm -hmm. increase your appetite. This helps regulate these hunger and fullness hormones a little bit because yeah. you've been suppressing them so long. That's really important there. That's a huge point. Yeah. You have to be committed to that like recovery piece. It regulates those hormones in those individuals who have been suppressing them for so long. Yeah. Like for myself, like my hunger hormones don't need to be regulated yeah. for the most part. A lot of people don't need to be regulated. So it wouldn't have the same effect because you're, mm -hmm. you haven't been doing this for years yeah. and years as well, which is super important. Let's talk about the big one, MJ and sleep, marijuana and sleep. So does it have an impact on sleep? The answer is yes. Marijuana does impact sleep. And this is the interesting part because I know we've talked a lot on, have we had a, this? I was trying to think about this. We've had now like what, 42, 43 episodes go us. We did an entire one on alcohol, correct? When we talked about alcohol and sleep, and we talked about how much it essentially blocks your body from falling into REM, rapid eye movement stages of sleep, people are like, but what about marijuana? Is it the same effect? And it's kind of crazy where it's not technically marijuana is not under the class of drugs that is a sedative, a defined sedative, but it does seem to speed up how long it takes people to fall asleep, right? Sleep latency. It improves sleep latency, meaning if it usually takes you an hour to fall asleep, it can make you fall asleep in five minutes, right? Now, when you look at brainwaves, I think this is cool when they looked at it. Dr. Matthew Walker has done more work on this. When you look at brainwaves, it doesn't naturally help you fall asleep faster. It doesn't just speed up the natural falling asleep processes. It does more mirror the sedative effect. It skips some steps to help you fall asleep faster. So it's not a natural 
fall asleep. Kind of like alcohol is more of a sedative, right? It sedates you quicker. It doesn't help you fall asleep quicker. I think that's a big, important kind of distinction because quality of sleep is arguably much more important than total time of sleep. So will it help you fall asleep? And I think a lot of people use it to fall asleep. But the next big thing is THC in particular, not as much CBD, but THC in particular has been noticed to block REM sleep, especially if you're smoking it every single night. And I know this, and this is, this was what happened to me when I was a teenager, I would smoke it more frequently. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but I would use it to fall asleep. When I was in like late teens, early twenties, I would use it to fall asleep every night. It was, I mean, who doesn't want to just be out like a light, right? Oh, time to go to bed. Puff, puff, boom. But I noticed I would never remember dreams. I would never remember dreams those nights. And then if I'd go a night without smoking it, I noticed I would wake wake up times through the night with the most vivid dreams I'd ever had. The night that I had not smoked it, which I thought was super interesting because the same thing takes place with alcohol sometimes where if you delay REM sleep where you're having most of those vivid dreams, your brain likes to play catch up when it can. So when your body doesn't have THC present, you're going to notice a lot deeper, more stages of REM sleep when you don't. Have you ever noticed that? Did you ever go through a phase where you'd use it to sleep often? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I didn't, during the day, I didn't never smoked it mm. because it just made me not functional, but sleeping was, I had my little mini bong and I would literally smoke it before bed at night to fall asleep. I'm laughing over here when you say about your dreams. I don't remember my dreams in general. We already had mm-hmm. this conversation because I can't really see them. I've never remembered vividly like a dream. I will remember the emotions I have when I wake up and I'm like, oh, I just had a nightmare because I feel something or I'll cry. But you don't actually remember the specifics of the dream? No. So when I would smoke, it's just nothing. Like absolutely nothing. So like you, like I just never even felt like, I just felt like I was a brick and then I would wake up. Versus if I did have a dream from not smoking, even now it's like, oh, I'll wake up and feel like I will feel the response to whatever the dream was, but I don't know what it was about. That's no idea. Okay, that is a little bit funny. Because that's what, <laughs> that is a little bit funny, but it's kind of crazy when you know, because I never questioned why when I was doing it. I'd be like, holy crap, I just dreamed so much, whatever it is. You just think you're sleeping like a brick. Exactly. But, and then here's the thing too, is you notice, at least for myself, and again, this is, I guarantee, highly individualized. I would notice, even though I'd be out like a brick, I feel like I would wake up in the same exact position in my bed that I fell asleep in, right? Like yep. I didn't move my arm. I didn't move or tilt my head. Like I woke up and I was like, holy crap. It was like you said, a brick. Mm-hmm. but I'd wake up and I'd feel groggy and it'd be like slow to start and it'd be hard to get going. Like my brain wasn't waking up. Did you feel terrible, that too? Terrible, yeah. terrible. And you're like, what? Like, I just got the best sleep of my life. Why do I feel like this? Mm-hmm. And it's because REM sleep. And I, we talked about this more in that episode where we looked at fitness trackers and reviewed different stages of sleep. And I can't wait to do a sleep episode one day, but REM sleep is where memory consolidation, creativity, learning, and problem solving typically occurs overnight. It plays a massive role in re-energizing your mind and body for the next day. That is a well-known and massive component of REM sleep. So if you're missing out on REM sleep constantly, you're not doing many of these massive roles in preparing your body and brain for the next day. So that might be why you feel groggy waking up. Yeah. You slept eight full hours, but you didn't have a high quality eight hours. Yeah. You're missing out on that restorative time, which I think in that episode, the goal should be around an hour and a half or more. And if you have something, it'd be a fun experiment if you smoke regularly, but if you have like an aura ring, I know for myself, just looking at like alcohol consumption, a normal night sleep. And then if I have two or three glasses of wine with Karina, my girlfriend or something like that, a few hours before bed, I'll notice my REM sleep goes through the toilet and I'll usually fragment my sleep where I wake up multiple times through the night as well, just from a couple drinks. So it'd be interesting to see if you do have one testing a few nights, smoking a few nights, not. Yeah. I think that'd be cool. Now here's the interesting part. And this is where Dr. Matthew was talking more and more on this is THC or THC THC seems to have a withdrawal dependency or a tolerance that tends to form over frequent use especially if you're using it to sleep, right? This is not a good thing. You don't want to be dependent or on anything to sleep. That's why melatonin can be a little bit dangerous too. But building a tolerance, just meaning you seem to need more and more to elicit the same effect over time. And when you stop stop using it to fall asleep, you tend to see a rebound insomnia effect, meaning it's not just like it's the normal back to how you used to fall asleep, but it is much much more challenging 
to fall and stay asleep if you use it for longer periods of time and then you just stop. So strong that it's even part of the clinical withdrawal profile, which I think is super, super interesting because I had not heard of that before. I know it's been talked a little bit on sleep, but that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. I think about one of the biggest reasons why I stopped having weed before bed in any form because I like took a second to think about why I was doing it. And also one, it became habit and I didn't want to feel like that was something that I needed to do. My brain just was like primed to be ready, but that's what you need to do before bedtime. And I really noticed that like, okay, it became more often and Mm -hmm. it, my sleep without it was way worse, worse. I'm saying it wasn't worse. I wasn't falling asleep. I was like, why am I doing this? Why did I do this in the first place? I have anxiety. I wanted to not think about things before bed. I have OCD. I wanted to not have to do my rituals before bed. I just wanted to get to sleep. I wanted to knock out on my pillow. I've never been a person that could do that. But in my adult life, have I ever tried to actively work on doing that? No. And mm-hmm. like in college, it's so different because it what you are worried about and what you need to get done. I didn't really care about addressing those things. I just didn't because I felt like I was functional and fine until it was that dependency aspect of it. It's really interesting to me. I didn't know that about marijuana in general, like how that, I thought it was just a person, like from person to person, some people build up a tolerance, some don't like. I think that's because the main argument, I think for people who are very, very like pro, this should be legal everywhere, no matter what, which I agree with most of it. But sometimes when people are very pro or against something, they'll extrapolate certain pieces of data that's not really there. I think one of the big ones is like, oh, marijuana, it's not addictive, which no, it's technically not an addictive substance. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people have that dependency on it in certain aspects of their day sometimes, which can be a little, not saying it's bad because again, I mean, we even looked at this, like reports back in 2015 that I pulled from different scientific reports even showed that all-cause mortality risk was 114 times lower in marijuana use than alcohol. Like it's not as dangerous as certain things. So people might see that as it's not nearly as a problem as if you were dependent on alcohol to fall asleep, which is addictive, but it's not addictive in that sense, but if you're dependent on it, it's something that you might want to look at least pushing away from yeah. is what it looks like mm-hmm. if you're truly dependent on it. Now, CBD can be a little bit different because one, again, there's not a lot of research looking at if CBD impacts REM sleep, things like that. It doesn't seem like it does. It's much less severe than THC, it seems like, and it has had an effect of reducing anxiety, whether that's from a placebo effect or from an actual mechanism. But if it reduces anxiety and helps you fall asleep, that is a lot different than also anything sedating as well. So that's just a different side of the coin, but there's just nothing that we can really draw. There's no real data out there to look at, right? And I mean, it's like definitely, and this is my opinion coming in here, but I feel like weed especially is one of those things that, and you see it in certain states, it's almost like sometimes the crime that happens from illegally selling weed or obtaining it, mm-hmm. like it got rid of a lot of that. And it can also make safer, like access to safer weed, like not having it laced with anything. Yeah. I don't have an extreme view on either way. Yeah. There can be some good to this, but also when you think about young young kids getting access to anything that is altering their brain, it's just thinking about it as basic yeah. as that. Like this alters your brain. It's like what you're saying is there's some gray area. It's not yeah. all black and white. What? Is that how like everything in life is? No. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's what like, I think we're on the same page for. It. There's practical uses and benefits and there's practical drawbacks. This is, I think, definitely one of the things, especially as it comes to the legalization of the last 10 years, you do see groups that are so far in either direction where it's like this cures cancer. It does everything perfect and there's nothing wrong with it. And that this is like the devil's lettuce and this should never be touched from anybody for many reasons. It's like, it's not, the answer's never. Yeah. I totally understand why I could be frustrated for some people, especially I feel like Gen Z was always like, well, cigarettes are legal and we know that they kill you. That makes yeah. no sense. And it's true. Like it yeah. really, that when you put it, it's like, yep, cigarettes, we know they kill you over time. We know the long-term effects of them and 18 yeah. can have them. It, yeah. Cigarettes like- and alcohol. It's like the, these two drugs are legal. And cause so, that's, so that's I think that's a big one. If you look at it from why yeah. wouldn't we be legal at a certain age, especially because we know a lot of the repercussions of 
even extending the age of legality for substances that minors like will abuse because simply because they don't have access to it. It's that curiosity factor. Oh yeah. And it leads to getting your hands on un unsafe versions of what you think the substance might be. Look at Europe and the drinking compared to America and the issues that happen there. Yeah, from that perspective. But if you're trying yeah. to meet some physique goal and think weed is going to do it for you. It's not going to have <laughs> as, as large of an impact as alcohol is, especially a negative impact as alcohol. But for most people, yeah. it's not going to improve your performance. It's not going to improve your strength. It's not really going to help with recovery. It may help with recovery in the sense of pain management, but it's or not going to help suppressing. you. Well, I guess, I mean, that's a better way to put it. It helps with pain suppression, which can help in certain aspects, definitely. But it's going to get in the way of sleep. It's going to get in the way of performance for most people, right? So is it going to give you the massive negative effects like alcohol? Probably not. Mm. But is it going to give you an edge? Not really. Is it a performance enhancing drug? I would say probably not. I would not classify it as a performance enhancing drug. So that's where we wanted to outline and include that without reaching too far out into different aspects of marijuana. Because again, it's yeah. very complex and there's a lot of different mechanisms it's used for. A great review, I think, if you do want deeper knowledge of like how it works in the brain, Huberman Lab <laughs> podcast did a phenomenal episode on this as well, going much more deep, like much deeper into the mechanisms in the brain and how it actually interacts with different cells in your body, which is cool to have an understanding. understanding so that's cool. I like that. So I'd recommend going there if you can. But as always, is there anything else we want to add before jumping off? No, I think that's it. That was a fun one. That was a fun one. I think that it's just an important reminder for us. Like we've gotten questions about certain topics that like we want to cover the marijuana one being one of them, but we're always going to cover them in our own lane. So in the context of you know, what we discuss on this podcast, performance, training, if it's related to nutrition, going out, we'll try our best to give you some guys resources if you want to learn more, Yeah. but we try our best to stay in our lane. And that's why maybe we didn't cover everything you might want to know. But when there is, when there are mechanisms behind a topic and going deeper into the why explaining that we always do, but I feel like this provides a nice balance to kind of see how this, some, such a popular topic can be discussed in the fitness industry. I feel like it's not enough. And especially now that you're seeing more people get on social media Mm -hmm. and glamorize just being high at the gym. It's like, well, maybe we should have this conversation. Why are people doing that? Like, what are the pros and cons? If there are any. Exactly. Yeah. Just to highlight everything there. We're not going to dive into the mechanisms in neurochemistry. We're not neuroscientists at Stanford, like Mr. Heberman is. (laughs) <laughs> Talk over there. I think it was a great review of everything there because it's a good point. You see a lot of your big influencers swearing by smoking before you go in the gym. Mm. Here's what they're probably experiencing. They might do it for a different reason why you might want to do it. Mm-hmm. So that's what we got. But as always, you all know where to find us. If you're jumping down into the fitness stuff research review or the premium down below, we just switched over platforms from Patreon to Supercast, which is going to be now embedded in wherever you listen. If it's Spotify, if it's Apple Music, it literally is embedded right where you listen. It's not a third-party app, which is super freaking cool. We just made that switch if you're jumping over. And social media, y'all know where to find us. Tag us, ask us questions. At fs.pod on Instagram and TikTok. It's Mariana's underscore pantry and train bloom for our individual accounts if you ever have questions following these episodes and our YouTube page as well. Interjection. So for every month, we'll be doing an Ask Me Anything premium podcast episode. So you'll be able to hop on to, if you do subscribe to our premium version, you can ask questions. We're going to be picking the most popular ones. You'll be able to chat with other members, vote up on different topics that maybe you want to be discussed. We'll be doing those once a month. So that'll be a great place to kind of have our community interact there. And also you hear a bit more from us because we want to make sure we're answering your questions, but sometimes they're more individualized or more specific and it won't be applicable to our general population that we're speaking to here. So that's a lot of the reason why we're also offering that. I'm glad you brought that up. We still do Q and A's on our Instagrams on things like that, but some Mm -hmm. questions just take a little more diving into a little bit more information, a little more context. So that's what I'm excited for those AMA episodes that we're now able to do with this platform that we weren't in our other. I'm freaking pumped for that. So if you're jumping on over there, Say what up once you get there. Message us on Instagram. Let us know you're there. And I hope you have a productive day. I hope you learned something. And as always, 
Mariana loves you. Right? Thank you. Thanks for being here today. All right. Talk to y'all soon.